Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. On DAB Digital Radio and 1089 and 1053 AM. Going deeper into the world of sport. The Dive on Talk Sport. This is The Dive on TalkSport. I'm Jared Kimber, and with me is John Norman. Every week, we take a long look at one subject, and today, it's where the politics and sport should mix. The question isn't new. Presidents, kings, queens, they've all used sport before. But this has gone from a fringe topic to maybe the most important thing in sports today. In the UK, we saw Marcus Rashford battle the government to feed children, the poppy become a football must-have, and athletes kneeling. This isn't just happening in the UK, it's happening everywhere, but it's at its loudest in the US. Especially following the shooting of another black man named Jacob Blake at the hands of the police, coming so soon after the death of George Floyd. From Rodney King to Breonna Taylor to George Floyd, we've we've been here many times before, but something happened this time that hadn't happened prior. With demonstrations escalating, the NBA side, the Milwaukee Bucks, refused to come out of their locker room prior to their playoff game against the Orlando Magic. Houston, Oklahoma City, Lakers, and Portland all followed suit. Three WNBA games, three baseball games, and five football games are also boycotted. Japanese-American US Open winner Naomi Osaka refused to play her tennis match as well. Athletes have protested before, but not in numbers like this and across so many sports at the very same time. But despite this, I know, I know, some of you are already sick of politics in our games. Many of you want sport and politics separate. You hate the front page you ignore, merging with the back page you adore. But is that really how things work? This is Milwaukee's Sterling Brown. The past four months have shed a light on the ongoing racial injustices facing our African-American community. Citizens around the country have used their voices and platforms to speak out against these wrongdoings. Over the last few days in our home state of Wisconsin, we've seen the horrendous video of Jacob Blake being shot in the back seven times by a police officer in Kenosha and the additional shooting of protesters. Despite the overwhelming plea for change, there has been no action. So our focus today cannot be on basketball. Now, maybe you hear that and you think, just another bunch of woke millionaire athletes moaning about something. But you need to know something about Sterling Brown. So a few years back, Sterling Brown was driving late at night. He wanted to stop at a store 
and he parks across the disabled spots at the front because there's not many people around and he's only going to whip in and whip out. Unfortunately for him, when he comes out, there is a police officer there and he quite rightly should be given a ticket. That's not what happens, though. The police officer tells Brown to step back. Brown does step back. Police officer decides he hasn't stepped back far enough ends up calling other police. There's suddenly eight police around Brown. Uh, Eventually, he's punched, tasered. Someone steps on his ankle. Another person kneels on his neck. Another police officer there gets out a gun, despite the fact that Sterling Brown never raised his voice. Uh, He never had a weapon himself. And this was all about a parking ticket. So this isn't a one-off, especially amongst NBA players. I mean, it's hard to hear those stories and think these guys are just protesting over nothing. That was an incredibly impassioned and powerful and moving opener to the show, Jared. But there are still going to be talk sport listeners out there who do believe that politics and sports should be kept apart, that we shouldn't even be talking about such a subject on a sports show. Let me ask you and the talk sport listeners a question. Honestly, what surprised you more when you heard that a black man had been shot by the police or when the NBA players decided not to play? Yeah, it was obviously the NBA players. And it wasn't just that. It was baseball. Baseball's like the least political sport. It's, you know, the American sport. Those players never speak up about anything. The basketballers are almost the most political. You almost expect something from them during, the you know, these playoffs. Not this, though, and not across all sports. It's crazy. But you can understand why there are still some people out there that want sport and politics not to mix. So here's Ben Shapiro, the US radio host and former editor of right-wing politics website Breitbart, talking about how he doesn't like sports and politics together. It does make me wonder whether inevitably we're going to end up with basically two sports leagues, whether at some point people are just going to want a sports league that, that does not allow this sort of stuff to impede the play. And people are just going to view that because I got to say, like, I've been fairly tolerant of this stuff in terms of watching sports my entire life. There are only a couple of times where I've really turned off the TV. One was, you know, when it came to Sports Illustrated, I was a lifelong subscriber to Sports Illustrated. My parents gave it to me for my bar mitzvah. I had Sports Illustrated subscription for like another 10, 12 years. I used to keep the old issues in a box. I mean, that's how much I enjoyed it. And then when they decided, you know, it's important for us to feature Caitlyn Jenner on the cover when Bruce Jenner had not been an actual athlete for three decades. And all of a sudden I'm reading about transgenderism in Sports Illustrated, I was like, okay, I'm done. I can't do this anymore because this has nothing to do with sports. And I I subscribe to a sports magazine. I'm not doing this anymore. And the other is during the Kaepernick protest when it became incumbent on people to somehow approve of the hands up, don't shoot symbology that was being put out by particular players. I'm tempted to do the same with the NBA now that that you have LeBron James who was willing to basically virtue signal on behalf of the the, the communist Chinese government. It's getting to the point where I don't want to watch sports. My place of comfort has been removed from me and it may not be restored until there are actual sports leagues that that remove politics from the sports. You're listening to The Dive on TalkSport, and that was US radio show host Ben Shapiro. He's just dressing up what is a really overused and tired statement that people just say without thinking. Oh, sport and politics shouldn't mix because it's the 90 minutes I have every week to just kind of like forget everything. It's a, it's a cliche, and it's absolute nonsense as well. He's saying sport gives him, Ben Shapiro, a time and a space where the real world doesn't count, that he doesn't need to worry about politics. That's the point he's making, right? Which would make sense if we lived in North Korea. (laughs) If every day of your life you're up against a rock face with a hammer in your hand and you're banging on a rock and then for 90 minutes every week the warden blows a whistle and says, "Okay, guys or gals, off to watch a game of football. 
if that was your existence, then fair enough. You can have your 90 minutes without talking about politics. But we do not live in that world. We live in the most self-indulgent, immediate gratification culture that humankind has, has ever lived in in the two million years that we've been on this planet. At the touch of your fingers, you've got a lifetime of entertainment that you can just tap into. You've got five weeks a year holiday. You have two days off every seven days. We've got plenty of time. You cannot tell me that the sporting field it should be devoid of politics or political message because that's your safe space. That's what reality TV's for. Sport gets much of its context from politics. Jesse Owens embarrassed Hitler, not, not in real terms, obviously, but he made Hitler's ideology look even more silly than it was. The Black Power salute protests of 1968 Olympics with Tommy Smith and John Carlos and Peter Norman up there with his badge, those are iconic and they're going to be linked to the Olympics forever. The Black Arm protest of Andy Flower and Henry Olonga in Zimbabwe cricket. And it's not just progressive topics. NFL quarterback Tim Tebow's anti-abortion stance and, his, and the Christianity behind it could be seen literally on his face. He had stickers on his face. With the, with the political message he wanted to move across to people. When President Mobuto Sese Seiko from the Democratic Republic of the Congo wanted to make a name for his country, he paid for George Foreman and Muhammad Ali to come and fight, which became known as the Rumble in the Jungle. So with the events of the last week, I wonder now how many people still believe that sport and politics shouldn't mix? Here is US sports writer Dave Hogg on that very question. latest polling is showing that most people think players have the right to protest and I think it's become a much more people are understanding a lot more where the athletes are coming from because of the way 2020 has gone in several different ways. I mean there's no massive surprise that this happened in the NBA or the WNBA those are two very politically active leagues but some of the other leagues you talked about there you know hockey and baseball not really that political are they? No they're not um it was much more surprising to see baseball teams that day deciding not to play. And even some of the games that did play, like the game here in Detroit where the Tigers were playing the Chicago Cubs, the game went ahead, but one of the Cubs players, Jason Hayward, decided not to play and and announced that that was why he wasn't playing that night. And then the Tigers didn't play. They postponed their game the next day against the Minnesota Twins. And those are also Detroit and Minnesota are both teams in the same general geographic area as Wisconsin. And the NHL didn't do anything that night and took a lot of heat for it. And you can understand that in a way. It's a league that's only about 25% American and 97% white. But they took so much heat internally and externally that then they decided to postpone their playoff games for two nights. So it's really something completely unprecedented that... Nothing like this has ever happened in U.S. sports before. And what do you think the U.K. can learn from what America is going through at the moment? I think the thing that the athletes can learn is how much power they have if they stick together. If It's not one athlete. When an entire team is willing to say, we're not going to play, they have the power. And if... Manchester City decided to support one of their players and decided not to come out for a Premier League game or Liverpool or, you know, the England cricket team for an Ashes test. I think that would be a statement much, much bigger than one athlete or one player doing something on their own. And I think that's the big lesson that 
the athletes can learn. I mean, it, it's obviously a different situation in the UK with the police shootings. You don't have that issue as much as we do over here. But it's still something when, when you're talking about racism, when you're talking about, you know, COVID-19 and all of its impacts on disadvantaged people, it's something that you can really learn from that they have more power together than they do as individuals. That was the NHL correspondent for the Detroit Red Wings, Dave Hogg there. If Dave Hogg had said that seven days ago, you'd say it's completely fanciful. It would never, ever happen. But because the NBA players did what they did, suddenly you're thinking, hang on a second, what exactly is possible? Because, you know, growing up in the UK, we have always followed America, whether it's politically or socially, they always seem to be four or five years ahead of where of where we are. Barney Roney in The Guardian wrote a brilliant piece this week and he essentially said, now that the NBA stars have done what they've done and protested and boycotted, could that lead to a sea change in how sports stars in this country see themselves? You could say, if it wasn't for Black Lives Matter happening in the US, then it wouldn't have happened in the UK. I think that's fair enough. The precedent's now been set in the US so could we see UK stars boycotting the sports for different reasons? And why should it stop there as well? Why should it just be the sports stars themselves? If we believe that Qatar is using the World Cup to sports wash its country, if we believe that a country like Bahrain is doing the same thing in Formula One, then shouldn't we be asking the question of our broadcasters what they are doing broadcasting these tournaments? How incredible a moment would it be if our public broadcaster turned around and said, we are not going to broadcast the World Cup from Qatar. Being prepared to lose financially and professionally is a point that TalkSport's Jordan Jarrett Bryan put forward this week. I think when people are dying and being murdered, I think you need radical and extreme solutions. I would advocate a boycotting of sports because I think ultimately nothing else has worked. We're still treated with racism, we're still treated aggressively as black people in this country, athletes or non-athletes. And I just think that after all of these years, what we've done before hasn't worked. So I always feel that when you want to disrupt anything, disrupt the money. People respond when they're making less money. The dehumanization of the black race is where it started. And people will tell you, oh, that's a long time ago, get over it. No, you don't get over things like that. And the society has not gotten over something like that. I hear people talking about brainwashing. I didn't quite understand as a young man what brainwashing meant. I now understand what brainwashing meant. We have been brainwashed and not just black people. White people have been brainwashed in different ways. I go back many years, think about religion. Look at Jesus Christ, the image that they give you of Jesus Christ. Pale skin blonde hair, blue eyes. Where Jesus came from, who in that part of the world looks that, that way? But again, that's the brainwashing to show you this is what perfection is. This is what the image of perfection is. You're listening to The Dive on TalkSport with Jared Kimber and John Norman. The subject this week is whether sport and politics should mix. The words you just heard were those of West Indian great Michael Holding, who was part of the Sky Sports cricket coverage of England's recent series with his old side. On the morning of the first test, Holding gave a passionate and heartfelt piece to camera, which has now been viewed over 7 million times. Like the Premier League, cricket's governing body, the ECB, gave permission to the players to wear Black Lives Matter logo on their shirts and participate in the taking of a knee prior to the game. 
the ECB also gave a statement that said, on reflection, black players and fans do not feel like cricket is a game for them and promised to engage and listen to community leaders and black influencers within cricket to address the issues raised by the black community. In other words, mixing sport and politics actually made a difference. But even some people who believe passionately in movements like Black Lives Matters do not believe that the sports field should be a platform for the protest. Here's former Crystal Palace chairman and TalkSport pundit Simon Jordan talking with Jim White. I believe the pitch is a place of neutrality. I don't believe any message, political, societal, or any particular persuasion should be voiced on the pitch. I believe that the players have an absolute right to use their influence via the enormous reaches they have through digital media, through print media, through their social media platforms, to within reason say what they want. But there's something neutral. I believe it should, across all pantheons, whether it's the poppy, I believe that sport should be a neutral place solely for the benefit of sport and not for opinions because... Uh, whilst I, I understand the societal challenge with this particular issue and how hot a top, top subject matter it yeah, is, yeah. what becomes the next person to determine what the next hot subject is and where does it, be, where does it where do people draw the line? Because eventually, if you open this Pandora's box, you will never close it. So that was former Crystal Palace chairman Simon Jordan uh, talking about the Black Lives Matter protests on the field uh, a few weeks back now. Look, the idea that the pitch or the court or the, the ground is uh, neutral is just... It's not true, and it's it's never been true. If you're an LGBT athlete and you have to go compete in Russia for the Olympics, it's not a neutral place that you're going. If you're a black athlete going to Spain or Italy and you know they're chanting against you, it's not a neutral place. Sport is not played in a neutral place. It's played from a from a very basic point. It doesn't matter if you're playing the local village or if you're playing, you know, East Germany. You're trying to prove that your nation, that your team is better than someone else. It's not a neutral place. It's never been a neutral place. And I'm not sure we could ever make sport neutral. Well, great respect to Simon because there's bits in there that we need to discuss and I fully support. But I would feel very uncomfortable telling a black person that their experiences as a black person somehow doesn't exist as soon as you step onto a football field. That doesn't make any sense, especially when, as we've seen in the last 10, 15 years, black players are insulted on the basis of the colour of their skin on a football field. It's almost like somebody needs to tell them that the football ground is a neutral zone and they shouldn't be, you know, bringing their prejudice onto it. They shouldn't be bringing their politics uh, onto the football field. So I don't agree with that. I think it's ideologically, it sounds lovely, but it's not true. When we talk about what leagues and clubs can do, it's actually worth looking back at the NBA. So the league said that they, the players could wear Black Lives Matter T-shirts. They were allowed to kneel. Black Lives Matter was painted on the courts and each player was allowed a small NBA-approved slogan on the back of their shirt, like a political slogan, like ally, peace, say our name, anything like that. That's a big deal for a sporting league to get involved with. But you also have to understand that for some of the players, that felt like state-sanctioned dissent. They feel this passionately and they wanted to actually protest and, you know, not just do what the NBA would allow them to do. The NBA are part of the machine and the players also wanted to rage against them, which I suppose is how it should be because sometimes it does feel like athletes and supporters, we are all guilty of this, um, have to be seen to be doing the right thing rather than doing it because we are completely in the moment. Look, we've all been at events where it seems the players are going through the motions, posing half-heartedly with a fair play message or daydreaming through a minute's silence or wearing a black arm man for a person that, let's be honest, they've never heard of. And Simon and Ben Shapiro, actually, they do make interesting points you can argue for or against. But what you can't argue with 
is whether it makes a difference. This is rugby league legend Martin Afire. He was on TalkSport recently talking about why it's so important for sport to carry on spreading the Black Lives Matter message even several months after the initial protests. Well, it's like saying, though, when the first slave was released, is that the same as when the, the 200,000 slaves mm. were released? You know, it is, we are on this journey. We, we are moving in the four directions. And whether it's massive symbolism, whether it's small, it's all part of that journey moving forward. And I think because of the, uh, the number of black players within the Premier League, that gives it great prominence now and it gives them great strength. And that's why I suppose when we talk about the next level, that's why black people are saying, you know, maybe if there were more people in positions of power making decisions, then we would have different decisions made. I'm sure if there was only one black player in the Premiership, maybe then what's happening now wouldn't be happening. So this is all part of our journey. It's all part of our discovery. You know, us having these conversations, having difficult conversations sometimes, conversations that in the past we've shied away from. But now we're, we're able and mature enough as a society to have them. That was legendary rugby league star Martin O'Fire. Now, a few moments back, we heard Simon Jordan say he also didn't agree with the decision by the Premier League in 2012 to allow players to politicise their shirts with stitched poppies. Every November, clubs allow their players to walk onto the football field with a symbol that commemorates military personnel who have died in conflict. And that decision had unexpected consequences for one player who had no desire to be known more for his politics than for his day job. Stoke City's Player of the Year in 2020, James McLean, grew up on a council estate in Derry in Ireland where six innocent people were shot dead by British soldiers in the Bloody Sunday Massacre. McLean has said that if the poppy only recognised the sacrifices made by British soldiers in World War I and World War II, he would wear it. But as it covers all conflicts, he just feels like he can't. And possibly because of the way it was reported, he has suffered sectarian abuse as well as death threats to both him and his family. He spoke to TalkSport's Jim White. You feel, James, that the abuse you've suffered, you've had death threats, you've had bullets sent in the post, but you feel, James, the media hasn't condemned the abuse sufficiently that you've suffered. No, and it's if anything, they've added to the, the agenda. They kind of fuel the fire more than anything. I've been getting horrendous abuse. Like, I've had police uh, at my door with uh, taking fingerprints and that and, people, and taking fingerprints of club officials when I was at Sunderland because there was balls sent which has all which all been very well highlighted, you know, uh, and attention brought to it by myself. But it almost seems to fall on, on deaf ears. Jim, I have made mistakes. I'm no angel at the end of the day, right? But I've had this, and people say, well, you've got it on yourself. But all this abuse started well before I, I'd done anything. And sometimes I get annoyed and, you know, I am emo- an emotional guy. And sometimes the emotions that get the better of me and I'll, I'll act out. But I, I'm acting out based on retaliation from all this abuse that I, should, that I shouldn't be getting. And then the media, they jump on it and they, actually, they, they add fuel to the fire. And before you know it, my, my reputation is up in flames. That was Stoke City winger James McLean talking about why he shouldn't be discriminated against because of his political beliefs. Political beliefs that we probably wouldn't even know about if not for the political decision made by the Premier League to let players wear poppies on their shirts. So we've covered two examples of where sports bodies have encouraged political symbolism. But what of the individuals who took it on themselves to protest? Earlier, we made mention of Tommy Smith and John Carlos at the 1968 Olympics, who gave a Black Power salute when accepting their medals during the national anthem. And recently, another US athlete, Colin Kaepernick, sparked worldwide controversy by kneeling through the anthem. 
So here's US sports writer and journalist Patrick Ruby again talking about where the inspiration came from and why any gesture or statement is often open to interpretation and on occasion, deliberate misrepresentation. Kaepernick was never coming out and being like, I'm anti-United States troops, which is what a lot of people who didn't pay attention and also a lot of bad faith political actors in the United States immediately decided that's what his protest was about and just decided to weaponize it for the larger U.S. political and cultural wars. The other thing we should note is what was Colin Kaepernick actually protesting. He was not protesting the idea of the American flag or the idea of America as a nation. What he was trying to bring attention to was lots and lots and lots of historical and current unaccountable police violence towards minorities in America, basically protesting police brutality against African-Americans. I mean, it blew up huge culturally. It became a big thing. You saw other, some other athletes taking exception to what he was doing. You saw some athletes following suit. It became something where President Trump, uh, using this as a political punching bag, talking about how the owners need to put these players in their place. It'd be great if they could just fire them. You know, I mean, obviously there's, if you look at the state of American politics right now and culture and society, there's obviously racial, political, all sorts of fault lines there. You know, in some ways, what Colin Kaepernick was doing really preceded what we're seeing right now in the United States and what is spread to around the rest of the world. So, so yeah, like, like Colin Kaepernick's taking a knee, really, I guess it also took on this life of its own. That's the interesting thing. And it became for so many people what they wanted to be as opposed to what he was saying and what he was trying to take a stand against. That was U.S. sports writer Patrick Ruby there. He was talking about former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick, who was taking the knee back in 2016. And in case you were wondering, Kaepernick was released by his team, the San Francisco 49ers, at the end of that season, despite still putting up decent numbers, and he hasn't been signed by an NFL side since. You're listening to The Dive on TalkSport with Jared Kimber and John Norman. And coming up next, we're going to be talking with one of Michael Jordan's teammates, Craig Hodges, about sports and politics. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Dive on TalkSport. 
I'm Jared Kimber, and with me is Jonathan Norman. And after the events in the US this week, with the NBA teams going on strike after the shooting of Jacob Blake, we're looking at whether sport and politics should mix and looking at why athletes protest. But why are sports bodies so unwilling to let their players get political? The NBA team, the Houston Rockets, were the most popular team in China, uh, where NBA is a $5 billion industry. So it is massive in China. And they were popular because they had a guy called Yao Ming, who's the first great Chinese basketballer, right? So Houston Rockets are the team of China. And then their general manager, Daryl Morey, late last year, he tweeted, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. Six words. That's all he tweeted. Six words. That cost the Houston Rockets $20 million in sponsorship. And it's going to cost the NBA something along the lines of $200 million off their overall um, profits. Because China was so upset, they originally banned NBA games from being shown on TV in China. Other sponsors dropped out. So they are going to make less money because of one tweet that Daryl Morey said. And he felt very strongly about the issue, Daryl Morey. He had worked with Chinese people um, his whole life because he worked with uh, Houston Rockets. He had friends who were in Hong Kong and he was like, these people, are, they are standing up for what they believe in. They want independence for their country. I'm going to support them. And he's ended up taking money out of the pockets of all the players in the NBA because of how the collective bargaining agreement works uh, within that sport. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? So you can understand why people who run sports teams and leagues are so nervous about these sorts of things and they don't, they would rather it all just went away. You mentioned Jesse Owens earlier on in the show. 1936, he wins four gold medals uh, in front of Hitler at the Olympic Stadium in Berlin. Two years later, the England football team played Germany in front of 110,000 people and they see Kyle, every single member of that team. Pretty sure that those players didn't believe in the Nazi Aryan race. But what they were probably doing, coming at a time of conflict in Europe, with Neville Chamberlain as a PM four months before he came back waving a piece of paper saying everything's going to be all right, folks. And they were told, just do this because you will safeguard or help play your part in helping peace occur in Europe. That's what they thought. But fast forward 80 years, that looks very different now, doesn't it? It definitely does. As much as we talk about allowing athletes to protest politically, they also need to be protected by the sports body, because these are often very young men or women as well. So they need to be protected from themselves um, because we don't know. We don't know not only how is it going to be viewed in the millisecond it takes to go around the world. The image of Jesse Owens is 80 years ago. We're still talking about it. I don't know who took the gold in any other event in the 1936 <laughs> Olympics. And the power of the image and the power of the protest showcases why people want to do it. But then two years after that, with the England football team, Sig Haling also shows the dangers of it. Even a few days after the NBA, MLS and all the other boycotts, I'm still quite shocked that it happened. It's such a huge moment for sport. But the weird thing is this almost happened in the 90s as well. Craig Hodges was one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA ever, winning the three-point crown multiple times. He was also Michael Jordan's teammate at the Bulls for the first two of his championships. But then... Craig Hodges kept speaking up about politics and the state of America, and eventually it led to him being shunned by the league. But one of his boldest moves was to try and persuade Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson to stage a boycott of the NBA Finals. And then he spoke up about politics twice, and the second time basically ended his career. So he went from playing for the best team in basketball to not having a career anymore. Anyway, here's Craig Hodges. 
You tried to stage a boycott of the NBA Finals after the Rodney King tapes were released, and you had a discussion with Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson. How did that come about? For me, man, it was just one of those things, uh, a steady progression of understanding the oppression that has happened over the years. I was blessed to be a baby of the civil rights movement during the 60s, and to get a chance to play professional basketball and understand the platform that we had, especially during that period of time when you had two of the top, you know, most visible African-American athletes on the planet, Magic and Michael, that we had a chance to do something historic. At that point, 900 people had been murdered in the city of Chicago, man. So I felt it's, it's something that we have to do. Taking you back to 1991, you wore the dashiki to the White House. Was that a political statement or was that how you dressed at the time? That's highlighted, but I wore dashiki during every game during the playoffs, <laughs> so, you know, for two straight seasons. In that meeting, you meet George Bush, the then president, and also you meet George W. Bush, the future president, who seems a little bit confused by you wearing the dashiki to begin with. You then pass across an eight-page letter to the president. Well, it was basically asking the president to consider the issues of those who are disenfranchised, those who are poor, not just black people, but if we want to speak more specifically where I was coming from, is that the African-American plight in America for over 400 years of free labor, if we are looking to help a, a segment of our population, shouldn't we consider them at the top of the list of the aid to foreign countries and foreign governments, which you consider that for the poor people and disenfranchised people of America? You know, the night before we went to the White House, I was playing ping pong, actually, and, and it just came to mind that, man, you got to say something. If you can appreciate that as a human being, and be in a position to speak to it on behalf of people who won't get a chance to speak to it. That's what the letter was about. And and the letter spoke to that. The people that raised me and were part of the movement, I'm coming on their behalf. And I wanted it to be known that I'm speaking on behalf of those who wouldn't get a chance. And hopefully, if they were in the position that I was in, they would do the same thing on my behalf. You're listening to The Dive on TalkSport, and that is two-time NBA champion Craig Hodges. It's amazing just how ahead of his time Craig Hodges was, but it is also a little bit depressing, isn't it? That it's taken nearly 30 years for sports stars to do what he said they should do in the middle of the 90s. You know, the events of the last week bring to mind similar scenes that we see all too regularly in America, and that's school shootings, okay? In the immediate aftermath, we always see the same thing. We see the shock, the outrage, the emotion. We feel the same. We see the tearful police officers at the scene, the teachers affected, the parents of the kids, and then the politicians. And they're always saying the same thing. They're pleading with the powers that be to make the changes that will mean that this never, ever happens again. But there's also, alongside this, an undercurrent of resignation. We've been there before. We're going to be here again. And the same thing happened after I saw the video of Jacob Blake being shot by the police. Outrage, disgust, emotion, and then the realisation, we've been here before, and we're going to be here again. And then the NBA players went on strike. And it was an incredible moment. And for the first time, I thought to myself, things might actually change because of what they did. And if things do change, then history will view what Craig Hodges has been saying for the past 30 years very differently, and also the sacrifices that he made. (music) 
someone like Michael Jordan and, and Magic Johnson, for you, who was a role player, who wasn't that well known, you didn't have a lot to lose by making those comments. When we say lose, how much have we gained already? How much have we gained from the sacrifices of those who have been lynched and those who are still being lynched today? You know, we've had hangings in California the last couple of weeks. And I realize the impact of uh, sport in America. I, I realize the impact of sport in the world. It's no different today. You know, the young athletes who are in the, in, in the NBA, they have a chance to burst the bubble of white supremacy racism. So the letter wasn't what led to you, your career ending. It was essentially an, a press conference you did after the Rodney King police officers were uh, released. They weren't found guilty. You basically said there is racism in the NBA when you look at the owners. You said that high-profile players should speak up. And that was the end of your career. And if you look at your stats, you were still performing at a level that you should have got a contract the next year. Uh, hey, man, you know, and you know the funny part is that, you know, it's like, it's like Colin. Now teams wanting to play because it's palatable to have a revolutionary type mindset. Oh, we, we were wrong. We're going to take a knee with you even. Okay. When y'all were messing with him about taking a knee, it became a thing. Well, can he really still play? Hey, come on, man. If you're a veteran and you've gotten to the Super Bowl, you've gotten to the NBA World Championship, you know how to play the game. And now it's just a matter of, are you going to be allowed to play within their framework? It's one of those things, man, like you say, Maya Moore took a courageous stance. She should be applauded for it. She should be given hero status among our people for sacrificing the way our ancestors did. Knowing that your career would end and that you'd miss a three-peat, you'd still speak up, I'm assuming, today if you're in the same position. We don't have a choice, brother. We don't have a choice at all, man. It's where your spirit comes down and what's the passion that you have in your heart for and you know, the passion I have for researching. Last night I was just studying on ancient Zimbabwean civilization and seeing the impact that they had in Southern uh, Africa. Man, keeps you grounded to knowing that it's, it's a lot bigger than you. After your career finished, you ended up having a uh, dinner with Nelson Mandela and he asked um, to sit next to you. I, I tell people all the time, man, I've been blessed to actually meet so many of the people that I grew up watching from afar saying, that's a good brother, that's a cool sister, and that kind of thing. And then life puts you in a circle where you can actually, it was so wild to me that when Mandela got released, I'm sitting there watching him get out of prison, not knowing that three weeks later, I'm going to be sitting next to him at lunch. Man. And, you know, and I'm, I'm tripping on him, and he's like, man, you can really shoot that three. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm tripping, and he's like, but you don't think we watch basketball in South Africa? And they you know and that type of thing to me was just, it was cool, man. That, so all of those type of things, man, have been a blessing in my life and, and really kept me grounded. It's about what type of future you're going to make for them and, and what type of planet you're going to leave. And I think this is a different level of consciousness when I see 18 different nations with Black Lives Matter, man. That means something. And I suppose it was Maya Moore, the WNBA player, who gave up her career. That's courage, man. What's the loss there? What's the loss is her spirit more fulfilled? Is she gaining something in her life force and the life force of her next generation by standing up for a just cause? That was Craig Hodges, the two-time NBA champion who lost her career speaking up about racism in the NBA. So the reason I brought up Maya Moore is because while Colin Kaepernick and Craig Hodges were ostracized for speaking up, Moore's story is different. 
After winning four titles in the WNBA and two Olympic golds, she left basketball at the very top of her game to get, help get a man released from prison. Jonathan Irons had received a 50-year jail sentence when he was 16 for the non-fatal shooting of a homeowner in Missouri. He spent 20 years in jail. Moore heard about him through her family who do outreach work inside prisons. So she quit basketball and worked tirelessly to help his defence team. In July, Irons was finally released from prison. You're listening to The Dive on TalkSport with Jared Kimber and John Norman. Coming up next, we'll hear from former England cricket coach Andy Flower about the protest that forced him to flee his home country of Zimbabwe. You're listening to The Dive on TalkSport with Jared Kimber and John Norman. And after the events in the US this week, with the NBA teams going on strike after the shooting of Jacob Blake, we're looking at whether sport and politics should mix and looking at why athletes protest. John, I'm going to read you a quote, and can you tell me who said this? Go on. Cricket civilizes people and creates good gentlemen. I want everyone to play cricket in Zimbabwe. I want ours to be a nation of gentlemen. Is it Edo Brandes? <laughs> <laughs> Just a joke that about 12 people would like. Any idea? Well, only because you said Zimbabwe. Uh, Robert Mugabe, I'm guessing it's Robert Mugabe. Yeah, it's easy to forget how popular Mugabe was in in the 90s. He was seen as this, you know, black intellectual force taking over an African country from the, you know, the white oppressors and he was going to free Zimbabwe and make it an incredible country. That's not how he's remembered now. I used to listen to a lot of dub music in the 90s and there's this band called Alpha and Amiga and they had a song called Freedom Fighters. Listen Respect. to this list of names. The right honourable Marcus Messiah Garvey. Respect to Mahatma Gandhi of India. Respect to Minister Malcolm X of the Nation of Islam. Respect to the Reverend Martin Luther King and his civil rights compatriots. Respect to Bantu Stephen Beaker and the Black Consciousness Movement. Respect to the Right Honourable Robert Nesta Marley and the Wales. The Right Honourable Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe. Respect to Nelson Mandela and the ANC. Respect to freedom fighters all over the world. So yes, you're still listening to Talk Sport. This is a dive. <laughs> Just to run through those names, if you didn't get them, okay? Marcus Garvey, Mahatma Gandhi, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. I mean, this is a list. Steve Biko, Bob Marley, Robert Mugabe. Oh, and then some bloke, uh, you may not have heard of him, Nelson Mandela. It is incredible how, how much of an icon he was because if you are under the age of 40 and Robert Mugabe's name comes up, you just say, not a good man. So... At that point, 2003, it just starts to trickle out that he's doing some things that are not in the best interest of Zimbabwe and he's looking after himself. But he's still fairly popular at that point. And then two cricketers, one black and one white, make a protest with a black armband to signal the death of democracy in their country. So Henry Olonga was one of them. I tried to talk to Henry Olonga, but he's talked about this so much. He's trying to make a career as a musician. But Neil Manthorpe, TalkSport's cricket correspondent, recently caught up with the other man who took part former England coach and Zimbabwe wicketkeeper batsman Andy Flower. This went out on TalkSport 2's Cricket Collective. The security advice that we've been given by the security people that were operating for the opposition party at the time was that we have to leave the country thereafter. And so our cricket 
careers with Zimbabwe would end. With hindsight, I regret not being wiser about how to maximize the impact of it. We simply wanted to make the statement, ally that to a symbol, which was the black armband, then bring the media focus to bear on the human rights abuses that were happening in the country. With hindsight, we could have done a much more impactful uh, global impact if we'd used the media better. I wish that we'd campaigned more thereafter. So there's a regret and, and a slight guilt, actually, that there's so many br genuinely brave people that remain in Zimbabwe, that work every day for correcting or bringing attention to human rights problems in the country, that fight for the opposition party, that fight to make things better. And ours was a very small gesture to try and highlight some of that. Theirs is the real work. So that was Andy Flower, the Zimbabwean cricketer, talking to Neil Manthorpe on TalkSport 2's The Cricket Collective. And here's an essential thing for me. I don't know any of the people on the ground doing good things in Zimbabwe. I'm not saying there aren't incredible activists, but I just, I just don't know a lot of them. And I certainly, in 2003, I had absolutely no idea who was helping, you know, try and bring freedom to the people of Zimbabwe and who was trying to improve people's lives. But I know who Henry Olonga and Andy Flower are because, as much as anything, because they were cricketers, and then because they made this protest that, you know, their one stance brings more attention than a lifetime of advocacy. And that's just how things work. So I just want to focus on the logistics of this because we're talking about athletes protesting and whether they should and whether they shouldn't. By making this stand, there was real-world consequences uh, for Andy Flower, the Zimbabwean cricketer. So listen to him talk about what he had to do in preparation. My parents left at the same time as I did. Actually, during the World Cup, they accompanied my wife and three children. My wife was obviously very worried about leaving me there to finish the World Cup. In the subsequent 17 years since then, I've only been back to Zimbabwe once. And that was about three years ago when I took my three children back. One of the most amazing things is the Zimbabwean people are a beautiful, peace-loving people. And it's just a very small, corrupt, greedy, power-hungry echelon at the top that are fleecing the country. That is not what the Zimbabwean people are about. So... It's a sad situation. It doesn't look as if it's getting any better. It looks as if it's getting worse. So that was Andy Flower, the Zimbabwean uh, former cricket captain who uh, was talking to Neil Manthorpe there for the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The fact he's only been able to take his children back to the country of their birth once uh, since they left is, is horrible. Also, you feel the pain that he can't continue to make the impact that he once did. And that's because, you know, once you're no longer a player and you're no longer on the field, you don't have that power anymore, do you? you? That's why players make those protests on the field. They have that power at that time. There's a theme that's run through a lot of this show, and that is about the sacrifice that a lot of these athletes have had to make to, to stand up for what they believe in. They've given up everything. Uh, they've lost their livelihoods, they've lost their professions, their homes, their families are endangered. If somebody is prepared to go to such extreme lengths to make a political point, then at the very least, we should be listening to them. So I want to tell you about Fiesa Lalisa, who crossed the Rio Olympics marathon line in more ways than one. He held his arms across to symbolise handcuffs. 
The reason was his people, the Oromo people of Ethiopia, were suffering decades of systemic exclusion and subordination. They, there had been human rights reports and the UN were clear that the Oromo people were dying and there was a, there was a massacre that had been reported on. But what really got some global interest was when Lalisa crossed his arms. That's all. But by doing that, he put his life in danger. He couldn't go back to his own country. But his sacrifice was worth it, as suddenly this was reported on around the world, giving the Oromo people a voice that they hadn't had before. And since he made his protest, Ethiopia has actually changed. Their prime minister is now a Nobel Peace Prize winner. And like Lalisa, he's also one of the Oromo people. But think about this. Lalisa had to do all this on his own, knowing that his actions would have ramifications, that his life may be in danger. So now imagine the impact if other Ethiopian runners could have all decided to do that as one. Because that is what has happened in the NBA. The big change now is that all players are taking a knee. Entire leagues are willing to protest. The players realise that they have a voice and that they can make changes. And if they stand as one, we won't see people lose careers like Craig Hodges or Colin Kaepernick again. Athletes now realise the power they have. And much like they do on the field, when they come together, perhaps nothing can stop them. This isn't going away. These protests in America last week will show other athletes just how important they are. And while they have a voice, they're going to use it. So go back to 2019, it's not that long ago, had a general election in the UK. Between the ages of 18 and 24, 47% voted. Between the ages of 65 and over, 74% voted. The former age group, you'd think, are exactly the kind of people you'd want to get engaged with politics. And they are the kind of people that will get engaged when athletes make political comment, right? And I think that's one of the reasons why people want sports stars to shut up. Because at the end of the day, who wants young, often working class from ethnic minorities, people voting? Because they are the people that will get engaged when sports stars stand up and say anything. And we know that voter apathy is something that political parties rely on. And if you watch Hacked Off on Netflix, you realise that actually it's something that they seek to engineer. It's really important to me that people are engaged in politics. And this is one of the best ways of making that happen. It happens now and it happened way back then. Jesse Owens won four golds at Berlin in 1936, but he wasn't making a political statement. He was just a man running very fast. But because of Adolf Hitler, it was political. Athletes don't really always bring politics into sport. Usually they're already there. When Owens received his long jump gold, beside him on the dais was Louis Long, and Long is Zig Heiling. Take the politics out of that. 